Welcome to the Reinvent or Die podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to those who want to move forward, committed, laser focused, relentless, simply obsessed with taking control of your own success. So if you find yourself in the funk, that gray space where your daily motivation, passion, relationships aren't where they need to be for bringing out the best in you, then join me on a journey to unleash a new you. I'm your host and founder, Bob Rogers. Every week, I'll be engaging inspiring guests from around the world to share stories of triumph, tragedy, highs, lows, good decisions, bad decisions, peaks, valleys, achievements, failures, everything needed to enable you to believe in a new day, a new tomorrow, a new you. So let's jump in without any delay and launch a great conversation, moving forward and taking massive action. One inch, one step, one idea, just forward. Remember, legacy is everything. Leave one that makes a difference. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a new episode. Today, I have the absolute privilege of welcoming Ruth Sherman to the show. And let me share a little bit about Ruth's background. And we will definitely be exploring lots of uh, pieces and parts for background, which is just fascinating. And so Ruth works with CEOs and celebrities and public figures looking to have a greater impact. She has worked with some of the world's largest and most prestigious companies, including Microsoft and Google and Apple, as well as top CEOs and movie stars, I'm intrigued, and international celebrities. Five of her clients have won Oscars and won a Pulitzer Prize. Her projects include the recently released film, The Assistant, starring Julia Gardner, and Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always, both of which are now streaming. And getting paid to watch films and TV shows, I would say, is a nice perk. Ruth also is widely quoted, a widely quoted expert on political and presidential communication, who contends the best communicator and connector always wins. Her latest book, Speakrets, the 30 best, most effective, most overlooked marketing and personal branding essentials, focuses on building a commanding presence and a strong personal brand. And she has started her career, or she started her career as one of the handful of very successful New York jingle singers, I look forward to exploring that, whose voice was heard around the world on commercials such as Coca-Cola, Ford, McDonald's, Clairol, and as a backup singer for major recording artists. So Ruth, wow, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. I would say you are a communication guru. Yes, people have called me guru over the years, but it just doesn't feel like it quite fits for some reason. I'm always looking over my shoulder, Bob, you know, thinking, eh, no, that's, that's the other person they're talking about. I like it. I, I love it. Yeah. Well, that's a great outlook because we're always shooting, shooting for becoming more, right? <laughs> so maybe before we get into really exploring some of your really interesting background, what was the early journey for you? How does somebody get into this line of work, this line of business? I know, you know, starting out in college, you have a kind of voice singing background, as I kind of shared a few minutes ago. Maybe kind of share with me 
a little bit of that journey. So then we kind of set this up for getting into really focusing on what communication is all about. You bet. Well, uh, when I was growing up, I was in school, like everybody goes to school, and I was a terrible student. I didn't like school and I didn't do the work, but I loved to sing and I was pretty good at it. And so I ended up wanting to make a career of that. And to my parents' eternal credit, they paid for singing lessons and piano lessons for me. Um, what ended up happening was that I went to apply to conservatories, some of the big prestigious conservatories yeah. like Juilliard and you know those kinds of places. And they wouldn't even hear me because they would take one look at my transcript, my high school transcript, which was like, I had like a, a C minus average. And they would think, well, she can't do the work. So they didn't even bother wow. to listen, to, to have me audition. Anyway, long story short, the, the, at the time, uh, the, uh, these big universities in the Midwest were looking at bringing students in who they considered would diversify their student bodies. And at the time, a white Jewish girl from the New York metropolitan area filled that bill, just to show you how far we've actually come. All right, so uh, I ended up going to Kent State University in Ohio, in Kent, Ohio, outside yeah. of Cleveland, and got a wonderful music education. They gave me a scholarship. My mother jumped for joy, I mean, because it was like an academic scholarship, me. It's like, whoa, <laughs> whoa, no, you know, that was unexpected. And so, yes, I went to Kent State, got a fabulous music and uh, performing arts education, came back to New York. I'm from the metro New York area all my life and um, started auditioning. And I realized early on that I wanted to make money. And as most, of, most people know, in the performing arts, you're either a star or you are starving. And I didn't want to be a starving artist. So I ended up hearing about this one end of the business called jingles, which is commercials, right? Commercial jingles, okay. where you hear people singing for different brands. At the time, it was very popular to, to hear jingles and brands used singers for that. And I thought, oh, that is something I could do. I was well-trained, I could read music, I could go into a studio, I could get, get on board really quickly. And all of my training came in pretty handy for that. Plus, it was really lucrative because you sang the jingle once and then you got paid for it every time it played. So you got royalties. So that was wonderful. And then jingles started to wane. We don't hear them anymore. If you think about it, there really aren't any jingles anymore, not in the way there used to be, you know, 30 years ago. Yeah, it's really, it's, they should come back because it's a great way to remember a brand. It really is. It really that's, is. That's, yeah. that's my advice to advertisers, all you advertisers who are listening. But um, I, so uh, I had to find something else to do. So I looked really hard and carefully as I was exiting the, I had a young child at the time. I didn't want to go back to, I didn't want to audition for theater. I didn't want to go on the road with theater companies. I couldn't, I had a, I had a kid, right. you know, I had a two year old. Right. So I looked very carefully into two other professions, including law. And with law, I, I, before I was going to put myself through the hell that is law school, I ended up 
um, working for a small law firm all the time. I was singing for Coke and McDonald's and all of that. I was working at this little law firm and I recognized that I would just become a terrible lawyer. I would be a terrible, <laughs> terrible lawyer. <laughs> Thank God. Right. And then I decided, okay, well maybe I'll be a social worker. I would like people. I think I can help people. I was in therapy myself. I thought, you know, I know the, know the school, uh, the, the, this, the, I know this, the whole scene. Yeah. I thought I did anyway. Yeah. And I had just sent my deposit into Columbia University School of Social Work when I was walking down the streets of New York City and there were these kiosks at the time on the street with paper brochures and you could open a kiosk and pull out a brochure. And the brochure was for New York University and I saw inside it had a master's degree in speech and interpersonal communication for... Uh, it, for, for somebody like me. And I thought, yeah. oh, that's what I could do. So I signed up for that. I got a master's degree. Now I will say that in the interim, I started calling people uh, because I could definitely see myself helping those lawyers and those social workers who were very smart, much smarter and academically, more, much more academically successful than I ever was. But they really couldn't command a room. I really felt that their presentation skills were off. And I thought, well, yeah. gee, that, that's something where I could parlay all of my skills and training as a performer and help other people do it. So I switched from my leather pants to my gabardines and, you know, took off from there. And the rest is history. I built it from there and little by little by little, it, it has grown. And, and it's really, it was, it was a good move for me. So that's, that's how it all Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Yeah. And even just in the brief kind of summary and background you gave us, it, it's, a, it's a great, a great visual for, listen, you never know where you're going to end up, right? Now, some people, right now. some people may have, I don't know, they've mapped it out and it actually works that way. Whereas there's so many beautiful twists and turns. And I, I love how you yours took the lefts and the rights and stumbled upon this flyer, which then launched your entire rest of your life, your career. Yeah, that is exactly. Great. And it still is going on. You know, there, you never know. I mean, still, even within my current field, uh, there have been many times when there's been a fork in the road and you think, oh, well, which one should I take? Yeah. Or can I have both of them? So I'm sure you know that. And, you know, same same for a lot of people. So yeah, it, no, absolutely. It's worked out, not without struggles and, and self-doubt, but it's worked out. Should we have you break into song before we get into uh, the meat oh, of the God. topic? Oh, God, no, I haven't warmed no. up. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I will tell you, I did, when I was going to school, when I was getting that master's degree, I had decided maybe I should apply for the PhD. Maybe I should just do that. Yeah. Skip the master's, go straight for the PhD. And actually, in my interview, the... Um, the, the head of the department asked me to say. Seriously? So I did. I got accepted, but I didn't get, I didn't go for the PhD. I decided, nah, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be in school for five years. I want to be out there. Oh, that's great. Yeah. It's great. Hey, you had a tool in the bag and you pulled it out and you used it. It's funny. That's great. So maybe we can get into, get into the heart of it, which, you know, you now have spent your life's journey in the communication space. Yeah. Right. Communication excellence is I would call it the importance of communication and how to deliver it and how meaningful and foundational it is across all walks of life personally professionally in the corporate space across the marketplace and maybe maybe we can start with you know 
what is communication? What's good communication? Really lay out, if you would, for the audience, what it is that you would say is, is communication a great, excellent communication? And then maybe we can kind of back into, well, how does somebody or an organization develop those kinds of skills? I would define great communication as a setting where two people or one person and a group of people are able to say things and engage in conversation with very open attitudes about what it is they might be hearing from the other person and feel that they also have permission to be open. So to be what, what I would call assertive in the way of stating your truth and being able to have that conversation, not in a judgmental way, but in a way that enables your conversation partner or partners to respond without feeling threatened and becoming defensive. I would say that is the key to great communication is so hard to do it. I, I wish I could say I succeed at it all the time. And of course I don't. I don't, I don't think anybody can say that. No, I, I think. I don't I think, think so either. No. But think, what do you think? I mean, do you, would you agree? I mean, you're an experienced person. Yeah. I, I like how you talked about kind of the having the permission or allowing each other to truly be open, be honest. Let me just, whatever the topic is, let's truly just speak about it instead of trying to anticipate. Let's see, you know, the receiver, they probably want to hear it this way and I should probably deliver it that way, even though I'm maybe missing the intent or the meaning of what I'm saying. It almost, great question. It almost turns into a game. And yeah. I will tell you that frustrates me more than anything and right. you know when it's occurring when it's like okay can we pause for a second and let's just have a real conversation you're, you're beginning to tell me what you think I want to hear no I want to talk about the various pieces and parts and the variables of this topic get it on the table and let's have just an open honest conversation and so no I tell you I mean my experience over the years you know, my years in the military and certainly 20 plus years, I guess I'm dating myself, that's okay. 20 plus years in, in corporate America. You know, there, there's always, you know, that, 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 that situation that dictates maybe a certain style or speed or a level of communication. But I think, no, there's no profession, there's no, I think, organization that does it perfectly. And I don't think, and then I'll, I'll I'll pause. I don't think great communication happens enough. Period. It doesn't. No, it doesn't. And you know, it's mainly I think Bob because people don't learn about it. They just don't learn. It's not one of those things. We don't have communication courses in school. I mean, if we do, it's a semester if you're in right. university, and yeah. you certainly don't have it as you're going through primary school. So, yeah, got to learn it yourself. Why do you think, maybe you can share a few examples, you know, kind of that truth permission angle that you hit. Why do you think 
people don't just go there from the get-go. And maybe some conversations, we've all been a part of them, they never get there. Why is it that we're always trying to guess or provide an answer maybe we think that audience, whether it's an audience of one, two, 10, 50, 100, wants to hear, and it just doesn't sound authentic, it doesn't sound real. Why, why is that? Well, I think like you said just a moment ago, people are listening, but with all kinds of filters yeah. that they have going on. How do I appear? What am I going to say? And you know, you're rehearsing your answer before the person is finished asking the right. question. That's a very common type of uh, error in communication. Yeah. Instead of like fully being able to just relax and take it in. Also, people get defensive. They get, they, they're worried that uh, any kind of feedback that they may be getting is going to, if they take it personally, we all do this. It's not, there's not, you know, it's human. It's human to do it. But if you could just take a breath and take in the communication without it being, without yourself, without judging yourself or feeling like, oh gosh, he or she is criticizing me or saying something that I don't like or uh, taking away from my humanity or from my work, the work product that I'm producing, then if we could get beyond that and just be open to it and not do those things that interfere with communication, uh, it, it, it would be a lot easier, I think, to get work done. Yeah. The other thing, you know, think people are so distracted and busy. I mean, that's the other problem these days. There's so much going on. I mean. Can I be honest? I mean, we'll talk about this later, but I'm old enough to remember when you kind of left the office at five o'clock. Like, that hasn't happened for decades. <laughs> no. You know, that no. hasn't happened for, dec for decades. So people are running, you know, working 12, 15, 18 hours a day. Then they're going yeah. home. They're trying to attend to their families and then they've got to get some sleep. Maybe they get a few hours sleep and they're, you know, they don't get enough sleep. So they're edgy um, then, and irritable the next day. So, I, you know, it's not a great, formula for encouraging communication. And so how does somebody, whether it's an individual or an organization, and sometimes they're both similar in terms of, you can hear one person speak in their approach, then you can hear that organization or function they're from and go, okay, I'm not sure who gave it to who, but yeah, it, it, it's the same everything, right? How do you get somebody who truly isn't providing great communication and struggles with all of the things you shared, how do you get them to recognize and improve on just a couple things, just a couple things to where they can begin communicating more effectively, you know, one presentation, one conversation at a time? The, you know, in interpersonal communication, the biggest deficit there is, is the lack of listening skills. So that is the most important and sadly the most neglected and poorly executed communication skill and yet we are much more a society and in, I am talking about Western business culture um, that values talking over listening and as long as we all value talking over listening the he or she who speaks loudest wins then the listening part of it is always going to get short shrift and as a result it's not going to improve. So I would say to someone who is trying to improve yeah. their communication to commit communication to just shut up and listen, just shut up and listen. And, and while you're listening, don't be planning what you're going to say. 
don't be worrying about what that person is saying to you uh, too much. Um, instead, when that person is done talking, take a beat, a beat meaning a moment, yeah. think about your response and then have engaged in that conversation. When you say X, here's how this made me feel. So there's a, actually a formula that you can use uh, to let the other person know that maybe you were getting defensive or having an emotional reaction, even knowing that it might not be the most productive way to be. So, or saying to somebody, let me make sure I hear what you said. I want to, let me replay make sure, it so para, paraphrasing, yeah, replaying yeah. it a little bit without being patronizing. Right. That's important. It's important not to be patronizing. But I would also tell people that most of the time it is not personal. It's people just don't yeah. know how to deliver communication. They don't know how to deliver what they want to say. They just don't. And so take it with that spirit. Take it in with that spirit. There are bad actors all over. There are going to be people that just want to make your life miserable. Yeah. We all have been there. You know, find another job, find another manager. You know, there, it might be something you have to do and it's not going to be overnight that you're able to do that. I get it. But I think in general, it's most people just want to get the work done. That's their goal. They just want to get it done. They want to get the best work product out and they just don't know how to get it from you. Let, let me ask you before, I, I want to hit on the delivery piece and yeah. what's the best way to ask this, this question? So whether it's a conversation a one-on-one, -on -one, call it one-on-many, one-on-one, but a conversation you're having with somebody or a group or a presentation. You know, you're on yeah. stage presenting you know, a message, a PowerPoint deck, you're communicating something. Is, is communication, great communication, is it different because maybe those two, I guess, situations are different, whereas a conversation feels more intimate and a presentation feels like I'm up front, everybody's looking at me and I'm trying to relay, you know, a message or I'm trying to take them from one, you know, one spot to another and trying to convince them of something. Is communication the same? Similarities? There are certainly similarities, but there are very different types of communicating, right? So if you're talking to somebody one-on-one -on -one or you're in a small meeting, less formal encounter, there's going to be a lot of social kind of conversation that can take place. In fact, it's one of the things that's going on now that I'm seeing as a loss for us in our current virtual environment where everything is being uh, done by video conference or phone, but mostly by video conference. Yeah. Video conferences, you really cannot read the room as effectively as you can when you're in person. You can't right. see how people are looking or reacting because it's just that, that flat screen with all the gallery of faces, if that's the way you're viewing it. It's very, right. it's very taxing. In fact, I did a, a, a piece recently on how video conferencing is more taxing than meeting in person. So all those back-to-back -back meetings that you used to lament, <laughs> they're like, people want to go back to that because it's so much less, um, less taxing. It's, it's, it can even, sometimes it can even be fun um, versus video conferencing. But that aside, part of the, the so that's the, the more conversational aspect of one-on-one -on -one or right. one uh, to a small group in right. less formally. That's a big piece of it where there's more back and forth. It might not be the kind of back and forth you like. It might be asking you questions that you find challenging, but you can plan for that, right? You can plan for that. Um, 
when you're on a platform and you're doing a presentation, whether you're at the stand, you're standing in a conference room with, you know, 10 people around the conference table or you're standing in front of thousands on a big stage, that requires you to practice. In fact, it all requires you to practice, but that requires you to practice in a very focused way and for a long time. And most people won't do that. Yeah, so they say no, so they, they Yeah, yeah, they no, bond. that is very true. Let me ask you, um, messaging. You know, when you're communicating, and maybe regardless of what the topic is, yeah, is there something to the skill or the right approach, or maybe the mo more effective approach to? I want to go share something. Doesn't matter what it is. How do I put together the right message? And maybe is it different between that conversational, more intimate setting versus a message I'm trying to share from a platform? How do you simply develop the right messaging that can be impactful? Great question. So messaging is a, is a favorite topic of mine. Uh, when you want to persuade somebody to see things your way, the most important thing to keep in mind is what is it that is going to make their lives better? What is the one thing that they cannot quite see that is going to make their lives better? Now, let me say something else about this. Mm -hmm. Many people, whether it's a customer or a friend or whomever you're helping or trying to work with, let's, let's keep it business-wise. So let's talk about customers. Yeah. will come to us asking for certain things and you have to be able to probe enough, ask the right questions so you can get really to the bottom of what they are actually asking for. And once you get there, then you can fashion an answer or a message that resonates with them. Now, there are a couple of other things to keep in mind when you're thinking about messages that resonate. Mm -hmm. And I ask everyone to think about, well, what brands do you like? What brands do you like? Maybe they're more expensive than the competitor brand, but you just gotta have that brand, okay? So whether it's a car or whether it's a computer or whatever it is that you're looking at, what makes you want that brand? And it is that the message that that brand has been able to cultivate over usually a pretty long period of time is that it's, it, there's an aspirational aspect to it. So it helps those people imagine their lives being better, happier, richer, um, whatever it is that they are looking at. So, I mean, I think about Mercedes. Mercedes is a great example. Mercedes cars here are luxury. It's a luxury brand automobile. In Germany, they're taxi cabs. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're just not as aspirational. And that's where they're, they're made. They're a German car, right? Isn't Mercedes a German brand? Yeah, I believe it yes. is. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's fascinating um, to me. So why do you want, why do people want an Apple computer versus um, a, a competitor brand, a, a PC, even though that PC is much less expensive and does virtually the same thing, right? Let so. me ask you that, that aspirational piece. Yeah. Is it, think about a good way to ask this question, is it more in that, that sender of the communication is it more about I need to pick the perfect right words or is it if, if, it, if I'm trying to persuade them aspirationally 
to me that's emotions, right? You want to emotionally connect. Correct. I turn that key emotionally. Is it in the how you deliver that message or is it really inherent in no, it's the words that stir the emotion? What, what, what is it? It's both. It's both. It's both. But we have been persuaded falsely that it, the message is more important, that what's written down is more important than what the delivery is. But that's false. It's equally important. And so you've got to be able to take that message and then deliver it in a way that, can, that actually connects with the uh, receiver of that message. And in, in, in speech communication, which is my focus, that's about using your, all of the nonverbal codes available to you, your voice expressiveness, the way you make eye contact, your dress and adornment, uh, your movement, your posture, all that, all that stuff. Anyway, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but yeah, yeah it's, all, it's all connected because if you're boring and we've all been in those kinds of <laughs> situations where we, right, we're watching a speaker yeah. and they're just like, oh my God, get out of the podium and stop reading from the slides. The message is there, right? It's there, it's been vetted, it's been worked on, it's, it's there, but you can't, it's like making your eyes glaze over because they can't deliver it in a way that feels connecting to you. Is so, there one golden, golden rule is a cheap question, but is there, you know, with all of those things you just listed, which all just elements, critical elements of delivering that message to where it does resonate in an emotional way. If somebody really is not a great communicator today, I mean, is there, is there one element of how to truly just relax, sit back and connect that can get somebody to at least begin moving in that direction? Is it, you know, it's the hand gesture is the most important. It's the, you know, the eye contact. Is it, I don't know. Is there? Well, I would, yeah, yeah. The, the, these are all really important questions. Yeah. There is not one thing, but I can tell you this, that the biggest obstacle mm -hmm. for that my busy clients face is making the time to practice. And whether that is getting ready for your one-on-one -on -one or your small meeting uh, or your big stage presentation, your big debut or whatever your pitch, whatever it is that you're planning to do is that I, I mean, you know, when I was flying, which I'm not doing right now, yeah. when I was flying pretty regularly, I would often see the person in front of me gesticulating madly and, you know, mouthing. I knew they were on their way to this presentation and this was the only time that they were giving to, to practicing it. But that's too late by then. That is too late. You've got to say it out loud. In your head doesn't count. We are all very eloquent in our own heads. We never imagine ourselves stepping onto that platform and we're in front of that, you know, important client and bombing. You know, that visual you painted is great because I tell you, and I'm, I'll raise both hands. I, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of that at times where it's, you think, okay, I'll practice that speech presentation while I'm running. I'll practice right. as I'm working out or whatever, not like truly finding a quiet space, you know, imagining that room as the stage or the platform or the conference room or whatever, and seeing yourself fully move through the topic, right? 
Exactly. But let me, let me say that the things that you mentioned, whether you're working out or you're running, those all count. I mean, all those people I like to say, walking down the street, talking to themselves, they're, right. not, they're not crazy. Not they're just practicing. <laughs> yeah, they're just practicing. So at any time, you know, I will often practice in the car turn off the radio, turn off the podcast, sorry, Bob, and just, you know, and say it out loud, just rehearse a couple of things. People will pull up to me and look at me like I'm nuts because they know I'm not on the phone, but <laughs> yeah, I don't care. I'm, I'm just seeing how it rolls off my tongue. And that's a great way to start having, it, it activates the speech centers in the brain, which means you suddenly can say more interesting and pithy yeah. things than you, that would not have come to you had you just been reading uh, right. from a script. Yeah, no, I like that. Is there something to, you know, I, I always hear the phrase, some, somebody has, they're gifted, they have the command of, of the room. They can stand up and it doesn't matter. You can throw them a topic and they can look at it and there's just something about how they get after it and engage in all of those things you shared where it's like, it's just magic. I'll listen to them talk about, you know, mowing the yard because it's just amazing. What is it to that? Is it, I think a lot of folks, and I'll stop, I think a lot of people think it's, it's personality. You're born to be this great pres presenter. You're born with these great interpersonal skills or command this leadership presence where you can, you can just do it. But I, I've seen people who have worked at it and have picked up that skill. What is it to commanding a room for those who want to feel like that's them. Yeah. Well, I'll say the first thing I'll say is these skills are not inborn. They are learned. They are learned. Uh, great speakers are not born. They are developed. That's number one. I'm going to just, and I, I'm positive about that. I couldn't, I'm as sure as the sun is going to rise tomorrow if that is the truth. Now, <laughs> I will also say that there are people who are have a bent for it. You know, they're, they are more outgoing, extroverted, uh, much more likely, much more what we call fluent. Right. So fluency in this, in this field is about being able to speak what is in your mind, have it come out of your mouth without a lot of uhs and ums or filler words or stumbles. There are people like that. I have a friend who can do this, who can just shoot videos. First take always <laughs> works. And I'm, I hate her. I hate her. But um, uh, she's a really good example of somebody who's super fluent. I am not one of them. I have to work at it. So yeah, some of us have to work harder than others. And that's life. And it's true of any kind of skill. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, that, that's fantastic. So call it a gift if you want. Yeah. 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 L let me ask you in, I mean, we're certainly not to get into, let's say, the, all of the themes of today, but cri crisis moments. Yeah. I mean, COVID-19 crisis around the world. And when you think of leaders, you know, not just CEOs, but that, that's a great, you know, go-to visual for folks, but, you know, politicians and just leaders globally and organizations. I'm curious, communication styles, approach, approaches, messaging, everything that makes great communication. Is it different, you know, normal, normal every day versus we're in a crisis mode there is, you know, lives at risk and property at risk and just things at risk. How, are they same different? How are they different? Yeah. That's the case. Okay. So there are things 
in crisis mode, one of the pieces of advice that I was giving my C-level clients mm -hmm. at the time was people are so freaked out. They are so worried about whether they are, whether they're going to have a job, quite frankly. They're, they could see ahead that the potential for layoffs were coming. And yet you haven't addressed it, not you, Bob, but you know, talking to my clients, you haven't addressed it. How can they get their work done? How can they do the work you need them to do to the, to the best of their ability and the way you need it done if they are worried constantly about whether or not they're gonna be able to pay their family, for their family, for food, right. their rent, um, whether they're going to keep their health insurance, all of those things. So my advice was, you've got to get on a video conference and do a, some kind of a, a town hall where you tell people, and you've got to be honest about things. So that was the other part. It's like, you can't, you can't sugarcoat this. Tell them what's going on. You don't have to give them away the company secrets or, or tell them things that are still confidential, but tell them what they can expect because people will respect you if you can give them the truth. It's when things get glossed over and sugarcoated or not addressed at all that people get angry and, and upset and that starts showing up in their work. So that's one thing, of course, and that hasn't gone away. Right. We don't know what's going to happen with this thing right now. So no. moving forward, there really have to be periodic opportunities for leaders to, you know, to, to engage in that leadership communication and help their workforce navigate through all this because everybody is still, you know, wondering what's next. What's yeah. the next shoe that's going to drop? Is an asteroid going to hit the earth? And I've Jeez, even been hearing that. Yes. Yeah. And we got to send Bruce Willis up to uh, blow it up before it enters Earth's yes. atmosphere. Yeah. yeah. Let, let me ask you, you said a couple words when put together that are just are, are powerful and in so many different ways, sugar coating. Yeah. You know, I've seen organizations improve. I've seen leaders improve at all different levels. Yeah. And you've seen you know, communications develop and unfold over the last couple decades, right? Yeah. Playing in yep. that space. Why, why is it, do you think that, and just stick with that C-level high org leader, why is it, do you think they believe they have to go easy and sugarcoat whatever the message is? Because there still are some, I mean, you can, all facets of life, you know, politics to, you know, the marketplace and corporations, it, there's plenty of sugar coating going around. But why do you think it is that they believe it's needed? It's hard to say what they, what everybody thinks, but right. the main thing that's going on, I believe, is that as human beings, we are we're motivated to ensure that whatever communications we engage in go well. It's one of the issues with the difference between when you're face to face with somebody and you may, that you may have a disagreement with and whether you're at, or you're online, you're tweeting or you're um, <laughs> social media and you're engaging in speech that you would never ever say to somebody to their face. 
So partly it's that uh, for, for leaders who are sugarcoating, it's that wish to avoid conflict. It's a natural human thing, you know, that we want to avoid conflict and don't want to get into a fight. Uh, nobody, it's unpleasant, let's face it. But, but I think most people don't recognize that even though the news might not be good, the fact that you can show some courage and, and deliver what people need to move on with their lives, they will respect you. They'll respect you more if you can give it to them straight. Yeah, I, I love how you shared that. And have you seen in your experience, maybe just sticking with the C-level theme, yeah. have, you, have you seen that improve over the years? In, no. In, no. <laughs> Sadly. Yeah. No, it's, it's, you know, it's why I'm still pretty busy. You know, I hate to put it that way, but it's like... Been great for job security, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I keep, you know, I can remember early in my career thinking like, my gosh, you know, the, the people just aren't doing better at this yet. You know, they will, but they will, and they still haven't. Generally speaking, most people are not going to do right. the work that to do, so, to do this I mean, well. If you had a magic wand, I guess, what is it going to take broadly? You know, unfortunately, we just can't flip switches and, whatever the issue of the day is, it just magically goes away in a positive direction, right? I wish that's the case, but that's not the case. But what is it going to take, I mean, on this topic, again, wishing to avoid and, and presenting, presenting, engaging in such a way where they, they're hoping I'm happy versus, no, that's not what I want. I want the truth. I want to know what's, what's, how I'm going to be impacted so I can think about you know, the what's in it for me, what's in it for my family. I got to make some decisions here. What do you think it's going to take? Is it ever going to be a corner we can turn? C-level leaders, turn that corner and just give it to your employees. Yeah, doubtful because it's yeah. it, only because it's just been it, it, the way it is for as long as it has been. You know, the, the uh, one of the problems is that this type of work that I do, soft skills, right? That, that it's labeled soft skills as right. opposed to hard skills, right? Hard skills, right. the money skills, right? The right. bottom line skills. But in fact, it's an essential professional skills. As long as we keep calling them soft skills, they're not going to be as highly valued as the other skills, the job skills. And that's unfortunate. So, you know, I can't change that. Uh, you know, I just know that the people who need it and, and recognize it will seek me out or seek someone like me out. So, you know, and honestly, Bob, the other problem is money. They don't want to throw money at it. They don't want to, they, they need to spend the money and the time and they don't want to invest. I was talking to somebody just a moment ago or not a moment ago, but you know, before we were talking, uh, who was saying that uh, they had, had um, been called in to do a, a, a two week, uh, coaching or they had been coached two weeks uh, with some kind of an, a, 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 an instrument, like a, one of those personality, uh, like what is that Myers-Briggs kind oh, of thing? Yes. It wasn't Myers-Briggs, but it was one of those kinds of instruments, right? That, that businesses love. Yeah. And then, you know, the biz, then the coaching company was gone after two weeks. And of course, nothing changed. Yeah. The companies don't spend the money to keep 
the, the, the coaching company there and helping people over the course of the six months or the year that it's going to take to really see lasting change. So, hey, uh, you know, you said something in ENTJ, by the way. But uh, oh, thank and, you. And, yeah, <laughs> and, and you said something that really just resonated with me, which is kind of the soft versus the hard skill, right? Yeah. And, oh, that's legit. I mean, it's yeah. so legit because there needs to be some massive paradigm shift, for lack of a better word, paradigm shift, if you will, internally in organizations from HR to talent acquisition to the leadership side, just all into where, okay, maybe communication is a soft skill. It's not that technical skill that goes and creates that service or that product, but it is just as valuable, if not more, than the technical piece of the role if you can't communicate with others, one-on-one, -on one-on-many, whatever it is, forget the technical skill. I mean, Correct. I see it, I see it every day. I've seen it over the years. You know, this person, this leader is incredibly talented technically. You can't beat their engineering skills and their analytical skills, but my Lord, I can't have a conversation with this person. <laughs> and yet we focus on the bread and butter technical piece. Right. And you can't put them in front of a client, right? Or you don't want them in front of a client and they can't sell. So yeah, it's a conundrum. Yeah. Let's switch to, uh, if we can, if I can ask a few more questions, that would yeah. be great. Personal branding. I think over the years and, and I can't think, I can't think of the author. I think it's been almost 15 years now. I first saw a book come out on branding, personal branding. Usually you think about branding, it's that corporate brand, right? Coca-Cola, you yeah. name the companies. It's what you see in print and media on the TV, that's branding. But we know that personal branding is so important to somebody's success. Personal success with relationships, certainly professional success yeah. in the office, in the organization, across the street, into the marketplace. How, how does somebody begin thinking about developing personal brand. I mean, what is personal brand and how does somebody simply, if you can share, how do they begin working on establishing the right personal brand that's meaningful, impactful, and valuable to, to them? What I would advise people to think about is what do you want other people thinking about you when you're not in the room? So, what are they saying about you when you're somewhere else? What kinds of things, and particularly the favorable things, do they right. think of you as a good connector? Do they think of you as a top um, leader? Do they think of you as somebody they can uh, connect with or bring their problems to? Do they think of you as the greatest salesperson they've, they may have seen in a while yeah. or ever for that? Or do they think of you as a wonderful speaker or presenter or any number of different skill sets or engineer for that matter, technical right. uh, employee? They think of you as that. So what are they thinking of, thinking of you when you're not in the room? And I think that's the place to start is thinking 
me. This is what I want people to think of me as. This is how I want people to think of me when I'm not there. And to start cultivating that. I love that. Yeah, I think it, it, you gave a good, simple framework, if you will, in, in most importantly, yeah, when you're not around, how do you want people talking about you? Yeah. And I think, and, and that's a great question because I think everybody has a point of view. Okay, I think I know how people, you know, what they think of me, whether it's, yeah. you know, in this situation or that situation, in the, in the corporate space, we always do 360s and send out surveys and get feedback. But I think, yeah, it's, it's an eye-opener to think about it that way, to help shape, well, if that's what they think, how do I then begin to course correct and do some things differently where I can change that point of view perspective? Yeah, when, when the boss here is, is out of the room, change it in a favorable way, right? Exactly, yeah. So you mentioned the second part of that, which is taking the steps to course correct or you know, make sure that people are thinking of you in those ways when you're not around. No, that's fantastic. Let me ask you about winning the kind of the mindset. I like, I like the whole mindset topic in terms of, you know, performance and in, in having people operate and think in a way which puts them in a space where they're always performing at their best, always performing in bringing their potential to the table. So just the winning performance mindset. How, what, what is that? And how does somebody begin to shape and move forward a mindset that really sets them up for success? Again, personally, professionally, but success. When I became fascinated with this a couple of years ago, like by looking at performers in, uh, first of all, the performing arts, who were the people who were performing at their, their greatest level and had been doing it for a long time. And then I, of course I looked at athletes and, um, and, and musicians, which of course is the performing arts. And then I started looking at CEOs and company leaders. And what I found was that these people are singularly focused on one thing or a set of skills that becomes one thing that they are so passionate about, that they are willing to work on these, this particular skill set whatever it is, whether it's a technical skill, but everything is technical. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me, everything has Very its true. technical aspects yeah. too. Yeah. Um, so they are willing to learn everything they can about that particular field or area of work that they're working on, that they, they simply cannot get enough of it. They are willing to practice until they're blue in the face. And most people just won't do that. I love that. And yeah, as I reflect on that, it's so true because you can think about it so many different ways. Yeah. You know, somebody wanting to develop a skill. Okay, great. Pick the skill. doesn't matter. Yeah. I'll work on it for a day. I'll work on it for a week. Yeah. And maybe I'll work on it this month. But I think to your point, people who want to operate in that space, of, of outstanding performance, it's like breathing, right? What, what, Correct. 
it, it's breathing and it's constantly they're, you know what, they're not competing against other people either. They're competing no. against themselves. I was, I, I haven't watched this yet, but I'm going to because it goes right to this. There's this um, a documentary called The Last Dance about Michael Jordan. Yeah. Um, that I think is streaming right now. A friend of mine was telling me about it, about how the, and one of the things that you mentioned was that the discipline of, yeah. so that's part of it, right? The discipline, you know, there was Michael Jordan being the greatest basketball player and then deciding that he wanted to play baseball and completely changing his body physically yeah. to play baseball. And then three years later coming back and playing basketball, having to change again and winning again. So, I mean, I haven't watched the documentary, that's, but that's the kind of thing, that's the kind of role model when I think of a winning performance mindset, like the discipline of it, the, the singular focus right. and doing what it takes, whatever it takes to achieve that. Um, yeah. So that's, that's we're rare. That's yeah, I know. I love how you sum that up. The doing, doing whatever it takes. If it takes, you know, one more rep, it takes two right. more hours, wherever, in the gym, at your desk, whatever your craft is, then right. take it then take the two more hours and take yeah. two more hours tomorrow, whatever it takes, but just- And you get better at it. I love you it. You get better. I love it. That's fantastic. Yeah. It's, you can't not get better if you practice. Yeah, no, that's great. Let me ask you two more questions if you don't mind. Sure. So I know recently you had a, or you presented at, at TEDx, I think earlier this year. Yes. And if you will, share, share the topic, share that engagement. And I know it was an interesting one for you, kind of as you and I shared, talked about, um, you know, before our chat here today. So share a little bit about that, because it's, it's fascinating. Well, thank you for bringing it up. Uh, the topic uh, title was, I'm not done yet, so stop trying to get rid of me. And, uh, I love the title, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. And it's about ageism in the workplace. Age discrimination uh, was my, my main goal. And to debunk many myths about people who are older. And in the, uh, in the, in the talk, I, I publicly state my age, which I will tell you and all your listeners is 67, going on 68, coming September 22nd. Just a baby. Here. Just yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the point that I was trying to make, not only was I trying to like, just kind of get it out there and get it off my chest, really. Honestly, it's like, why do I have to fake it here? You know, it's bad enough I have to dye my hair. But it's like, I don't want to like, you know, I'm not a kid. And, I, and, and the fact is that I've been around long enough and I've seen enough where I know a lot. I know a lot. And, it's, and I think that there's not as much value placed on that knowledge and experience and the incredible ability that older workers bring uh, that there sh then there should be. So that was the point I was trying to make. And then in 12 minutes, I think I did it. I I'm curious. Yeah, it, the topic is fascinating. And so what was some of the feedback you got, whether it was, you know, immediately there after, after your presentation, or I'm sure I watched it on YouTube, love it. I'm going to make sure I have the link here in the, in the, the program uh, notes, but what was some of the feedback you gave? Some of those interesting, quick conversations. What would you share as the the so what's that you gathered afterwards? 
So, yeah, well, in the lobby afterward, we had a chance to meet with audience members who wanted to stick around. And I had people in their 40s and 50s coming up to me and saying, I'm so glad that you put that out there because even they are starting to worry about getting drummed out of their industries, whatever it is. You know, one of the things that I mentioned in the talk is that technology uh, people, uh, engineers, Silicon Valley engineers in their 30s and 40s are getting cosmetic procedures done so they won't be outed as old. And this is not, I didn't make this up. This is stuff that I researched and looked into. And so, you know, we've got to understand how crazy that is. So they were like, there was a relief that was somebody was finally talking about it. So that's uh, one thing that I, that I got, um, some feedback that I got. I got other people who were telling me uh, on, on YouTube on some of the comments, which I thought were great. was like, oh, I want to be her when I'm her age. It's like, oh, live your life. You're that's only fantastic. 18. You know, you're only, you know, life is good throughout. <laughs> Have a good time. You know, don't, don't rush it. <laughs> you know, yeah. It, how, how do we, whoever we is, I guess we is everybody, right? Yeah. How, how do we, the employee, the person, the organization that really, at the end of the day, that culture is, is one. It's really one unit of people operating, should be operating in the right, same, similar way, core values, all of that stuff. How do we begin to change that value equation on, okay, yes, I'm not that young 20, 30 something employee. I'm probably high, more highly compensated that 20, 30 year old, because I've been in the industry, you know, Correct. decades longer than, you know, Johnny or Sally, 20 something or 30 something. But how do we begin changing that dialogue where, where about the value of older employees, to your point, I love how you said it, who have so much knowledge and knowledge is priceless. Knowledge doesn't have a price on it. Knowledge is priceless. And if we, over the years, have started to push out, so to speak, older employees who have all of this knowledge, how do we change that? Right, and all the company history, right? Yeah, all the, absolutely. All the, sort of the company background over, over years. If there's only one thing, Bob, and you're, you know, you, you know about corporate, there's, it's money. It's like mm -hmm. how do, you know, it's about being able to tell companies that you'll be, maybe you'll make more money if you keep these people instead of thinking that getting rid of them is going to save you money. It's uh, it, because that has what has been shown. The fact is that people, uh, that older workers are more engaged, meaning they like their jobs, they're happy to be there and they do their best work. Um, so companies with the most engaged workforces, and that means older workers and younger workers who are engaged, companies that promote that right. are on average 22% more profitable than those with the least. So the tiny additional costs of one to 2%, so those are additional costs of keeping an older worker, are more than offset by the significantly higher profits. So I think companies have to be faced with like, do you want to make more money? Keep the right old, I'm not saying to keep everybody. You right. know, if somebody's not pulling their weight, not doing a good job, get rid of them. But, you know, don't fire somebody because they're a certain age. Don't do that. That's, and you have the, you imagine that their healthcare costs are raising it, you know, all that myth stuff, you know, and, and compensation also does not increase indefinitely. It, yeah. You know, it's not like it, for the average worker, except on planet CEO, 
Right. Yeah. Very true. Ab absolutely. Right? Yeah. And I'll tell you, I love how you touched on the engagement piece because I mean, all of us in the, in the corporate space, pretty much every year I've got friends in a variety of different uh, industries and in all sorts of stuff, but typically it's every couple of years, employees are taking engagement surveys, right? And you're taking engage, engagement surveys, lots of questions, lots of questions hitting on all types of culture elements and what do you think about leadership and communications, all the things we're talking about here. And you're right, at the end of the day, there's a reason for that. And it goes back to what you said. It has been proven that an engaged workforce, an engaged employee, an engaged team, an engaged workforce, absolutely, that the productivity of that organization, that individual, is incrementally more than somebody who's not engaged. So to That's your correct. point, that investment of keeping somebody, an older employee who has a lot of knowledge, you're going to get that back. The return on the investment is only going to make you more, not less. That's I love right. the spirit of that. And, and I, and I want to say one more thing about it. Age discrimination works in the opposite direction, too. So, you know, when I'm thinking, oh, that millennials, they don't know what they're doing. They're just not hard workers like I was or I am. That's like, you know, stop it, Ruth. Uh, you know, they have a lot to add, a great deal to add. And, you know, and so I think workforces need to be, we need to learn from each other. Yeah. Well, let me ask you one last question. You have to promise yeah. you come back and we talk about your books. Okay. I think your books are really interesting and I definitely want to explore those and okay. go down that road. But let me ask you one last question. We'll wrap it up for this round. And that is your, as I picked up on, on one of your, your videos, Ruth's Truths. <laughs> so yeah. I, I want you, if you can, leave leave the audience a couple of loose troops that help like them, it. you know, again, get up, get going in the right direction, improve on, again, overall communication, share some Ruth's truths. Say that well, I've shared, I've shared a couple already, which would include um, that, that these skills, any skills, they're not yeah. inborn, they're learned. Uh, I've shared that practice is the key to the kingdom, right? It's, that's part of the winning performance mindset. And I'll share a third one. And that is listen like your life depended on it because it does. I love that. Whew. Those are some powerful roots truths. That is fantastic. Well, let me ask you how you have shared with us more than a handful of nuggets and I think takeaways that, that really can help people think about communicating differently mm -hmm. and more effectively and really be more mindful of how important communication is and how you can deliver a better message, right? I mean, you, you've shared some great stuff. So how can the audience, how can they get a hold of you? Where can they find Ruth? Uh, my website is ruthsherman.com okay. and all details about what I do are there as well as a contact form. So if Fantastic. anybody wants to get in touch with me, just fill that out and my assistant will get it and we'll get back to you. Fantastic. I love it. All right. So I want to thank you, Ruth, for your time today. I enjoyed every second of it. It was great. Thank you so much for having me, Bob. It was my pleasure. And you have to promise that uh, we set up a gig here in the future so we can kind of go back and talk about your books and really explore 
both of those I think would be very uh, valuable for the audience. I promise. All right, fantastic. Well, I wish you continued success in all of your endeavors and stay safe, keep safe and keep making a difference each and every day. Same to you, Bob, thank you. Thank you. And for my listeners, remember, no retreat, no surrender. Go forward each and every day, striving to become the best version of you. The world is yours. Go take it. Thank you.